0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk Sport Powered by fans.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club. Because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than
0: football. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: It's El Chargico, the FFP Derby, the What About Man City Cup. It's Manchester City versus those cheating bastards, Everton. More importantly, it's Friday, February 9th. I'm Adam Booker. I'm Andrew Deffer. And this is the City Report Podcast. It's here for good to win. It is a thrilling start for Manchester
1: City. The fastest ever goal in an FA Cup final.
2: The city are kings of Europe. Now they have their triple crown. Welcome back to the City Report Podcast, your home for daily Manchester City coverage. I am your host, Adam Booker, and joining me today is Andrew Detmer. How are things in the great state of Indiana?
3: Uh it is a beautiful spring day, um, which you know is concerning because it's February, but um <laughs> I'll I'll enjoy the good weather where I can get it, because next week it's supposed to get cold again. So
2: yeah, we're still uh, recovering from the ice storm we had here, but Laura and I are uh, hiding out in the cabin in, in a cabin in the mountains this weekend, which will be nice, so looking forward to that. Um, we're going to get right into it because we have plenty to talk about today. If you are looking for some more in-depth uh, coverage, looking ahead to the game against Everton this weekend, go back after this episode. Listen to yesterday's episode. Um, Adam Howarth and Amos did a great job looking ahead to that game and, and kind of looking at City's season and form. As a whole, but we're going to get into some some different discussions today um, ahead of that visit from Everton. And I want to start with the fact that Andrew, it's about a year on now from City discovering that they have been hit with one hundred and fifteen um, charges, breaches of financial fair play or the profit sustainability rules um, in the Premier League. Um, very ironic that we have Everton this weekend, as Everton are one of the, I believe, three clubs this season to. Um, be dealing with these same issues, these these FFP issues. Everton are, I think, the only club to have at least admitted to or been found guilty of it at this point. And of course, they had a ten point deduction um, earlier on this season. I, I want to start with the kind of uh, online discussion, and there's obviously been plenty of this when it comes to City's charges and Everton's charges. And every time we see these posts of you know Everton with the potential of another point deduction, or Everton are. Um, heading to another independent panel to to plead their case, we always see the responses. What about Man City? What about the one one five? What about those charges? Should we empathize with Everton fans and, and Premier League fans' frustrations and, and the what aboutery when it comes to the fact that they've already been handed a guilty verdict in regards to their profit and sustainability breaches, and City haven't even necessarily
3: gone to court yet. Absolutely not. Um, I'd also point out, Adam, that given it's a year on from the charges, that also means it's a year on from when you and I basically sat in this exact same spot and discussed those 115 charges. And I would refer back to what I said uh, in that podcast to say that this is going to be a long haul for City. Um, you know, one 115 charges. Other people have pointed out it's a little bit of a misnomer. Basically, there's just allegations for each season from my. I don't remember the first season. It might be 2014. I, I think it's, it's up till two, about,
2: yeah, it's like it, the early 2010s to the mid to late
3: 2010s. Yeah. Um, regardless, the conduct being alleged in the Premier League charging documents is very different from what Everton were accused of doing. In fact, there is basically no dispute around the facts and what happened when it came to Everton. It's this actually the same situation with the clubs that are in front of the committee on PSR again for this past calendar year. Um, it's not, oh, they need to decide if they broke the rule. It's no, because they broke the rule and are in front of the independent commission because they broke the rule and they've admitted it. Because it's just a simple, you submit the financial forms. Now, Everton makes the claim, and I do think that there's some merit to this on in a broader scheme where they were told by the Premier League, with regards to the charge they've already hit for, in their mind that they were going to be okay with deducting the settlement, or the not the settlement, the stadium payments. Now, the issue comes in is that Everton didn't end up funding the stadium in the same way because they are so broke that they couldn't get like traditional funding. And the Premier League kind of came back and said, well, actually, because you've done it this way, that doesn't count. You're over the breach. So I can empathize with that situation because to me, as you know, my day job, if someone tells me, oh, it's fine. And then you come back and punish me later. That feels like a, hey, like you're in charge of enforcing this. You can't tell me one thing and change how it's going to work halfway through. But setting literally all that aside, we're talking about a year, 18 months, everything just happened. That's what was its dispute in Everton part one and these other cases coming up. And the Premier League has actually now, like, people are complaining, oh, we're going to have the results of the charges that just came down before City. And so, like, Everton may have been punished twice. Well, in response to how long the investigation and the issues the City were taking, the Premier League has changed the rules moving forward that, like, these things need to be handled by the end of the season. So, from like, the Premier League clubs did that to themselves, for this season. So you can't really complain on that. But also, we're talking about documents that, you know, probably 10, 15, 20 times the amount that will be at dispute for City. A decade old, you know, testimony, witness memories, like there's just a lot more at play there that is going requires both the Premier League and City to go through everything, to brief issues, to review, to you know, question Um, Then you have to submit things to the independent commission and then people get to respond to the independent commission. Then the independent commission will hold a hearing um, and then they have to have time. Like this is a much more complex and much more. It it is not a simple matter of this is a black and white rule. You've admitted to breaching it. What is the punishment, which is what Everton face? This is a massive, I mean, in effect, criminal conspiracy Uh, with financial crimes at the most sophisticated highest level, if what they've alleged is true, that just takes time to prove. And so like, I, I, I get fans being frustrated at like a base human level, but a lot of that just comes from the fact that the footballing media is not in any way equipped to talk about in an educated fashion, these charges for the most part. And so the dialogue around the, profit and sustainability, r- sustainability rules, and frankly, just the governance of the game in general. Like Football reporters are not policy experts and lawyers and like ex-government officials who can talk about, here's how you set up a governance scheme. And so when they talk about those issues, they talk about them from the same way that a fan would, um, because that's their experience and approach to it. And so it just leads to a lack of legal literacy amongst Fans with this process. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, I'm not going to name any names, but we've seen a very significant um,
2: journalist who is a very good football writer in their own right ha- have the opinion that because City have publicly stated that they have a quote, irrefutable body of evidence to prove their innocence, um, this journalist says, well, why don't they come out and show it to the world? You know better than anybody, Andrew, that's not how legal proceedings work. You don't just come out with all of your tricks up your sleeve before the,
3: the, the case is even hitting the courts. Correct. And not only that, but uh, the Premier League and City both agreed and tried to prevent the disclosure of even the existence of this investigation in these proceedings. Um, they lost, which I, I support the journalists um, from the standpoint of I don't think that the the existence of the proceedings and the investigations and these legal hearings should be secretive. Um, But I am very sympathetic to when we're talking about private arbitration and mediation proceedings, the documents that are being filed and the statements that are being put out there should not be part of the press because the independent commission is comprised of professionals who I have complete faith in their ability to do their jobs. Well, we're talking about people that have spent decades developing a reputation and a practice to work in this area they're not they're not going to be influenced by like what club they root for oh they got they're they're you know paid by the premier league for doing this so they want to rule for the premier league like i'm not worried about that but what i am worried about is if every time someone was filing these things everything was coming out it can absolutely shape opinion um for those people and also just like it it would be a nightmare to see the Premier League come out and put all of their arguments out there kind of in the public sphere. And then City wouldn't respond for like a month um, or maybe two months, depending on the briefing schedule on these issues. So to me, I'm glad that we know that this process is going on and I think that should happen. Um, Frankly, I do think it's weird that Richard Masters would not disclose when the hearing has been set for that because I, I don't get why knowing when the hearing date is should be protected. But I do think that it's a good thing that both sides aren't litigating this in kind of the public space. And instead, they are doing what should be done, which is that sophisticated, intelligent people are briefing these issues so that sophisticated, intelligent people can review them for the first time with fresh eyes and make a ruling. Yeah, absolutely. I I
2: think that's enough talk on this because it's something we've spoken about plenty of times and probably for the next you know, year and a half to to two years, we'll probably talk about it um, again and again. So I, I want to switch back to the football on the pitch, um, which it's crazy that we even have to make the distinction between having to talk about legal proceedings and and regular football. Um, but I want to look a, a bit at Everton because they're a bit of a weird um, a weird case. Uh, excuse my pun there. Um, they're a bit of a weird case on the pitch because, of course, they're you know in a relegation scrap and they're they're down in in 18th in the bottom three at the moment but they actually have eight wins this season and were it not for that 10 point deduction that we discussed they'd be challenging as a, as a potential top half team so what do you make of Everton going into this because as Adam and Amos said on yesterday's episode we never really seem to have a comfortable game with them and look the results have gone our way plenty of times I I can't think of many times. I guess last year they they held us to a draw at the Etihad, but we've had their number at Goodison Park a, a number of times recently um, and beaten them pretty comfortably at home. But it never really is one of those games where you just check it off as a win, like maybe you know a Burnley at home or, or Sheffield United at home or something like that. They always give us a bit of trouble, and you know I think that's kind of their their mentality, especially as a Sean Dyche side. But what are you making them given them given their their, their place in the table doesn't necessarily reflect who they are as a football team.
3: I, I think that's actually a little bit of a, a misnomer to say that it doesn't reflect who they are. I think, you know, people point out, Oh, they had that great run of form, but, or that they've, you know, got eight wins, but they actually kind of, they had a really good run in reaction to the charges. And then they also came up against um, a, you know, two of their wins are at home this season, Newcastle who were decimated with injuries when they played them. And then Chelsea who are just like the funniest football club to ever exist. They have played well. And I think that they were motivated for a portion, but if you look at their kind of recent run of form, other than in the FA cup against crystal palace, who another team that are you know not in good stead, they have not had a good result in a long time. I mean, so, you know, since the turn of the year um, in the FA cup, you know, in the first um, leg because they had a replay with Crystal Palace. They drew nil-nil. They drew nil-nil to Villa, which isn't bad, but Villa have been a a weird team. They lost 2-1 at home to Luton. I mean, and Luton, I think Luton is the team, if you're going to talk about someone towards the bottom of the table, that has been playing better than their position suggests. I think that's actually a better example. They drew nil-nil with Everton. They drew, you know, uh. 2-2 with Spurs after being, I think, two up on Spurs. Um, So, you know, they have not recently had good results, I would say, to where you say, oh, they're only down there because of the, you know, 10-point deduction. I mean, that's absolutely true. They'd have 29 points, but they would still be 12th in the league, Um, you know, bottom half side. It's not, this is not, we're talking, oh, they would be competitive for a top half. I mean, they are, they are a bottom half side. Um, They have been for years now. Um, And I think Sean Dyche can motivate them in short terms and keep them organized. But I think eventually, I mean, they just continue to make purchases for that squad. That to me makes zero sense. I don't get the Beto transfer. Like I get that they need goals, but to me, he just, it was a massive overpay for a player. And again, They've failed profit and sustainability rules again because they can't control their, you know, spending habit. So it just to me, I don't view this season as something. Well, but for the deduction, we would say they're a good side and say no, they're still a mediocre side at best. Um, they can have individual moments, and that's not to say they can't do that this weekend. But I don't look at Everton and say, man, you know, Sean Dyche has really got that club fire, and I say they kind of are what you think they are, just a bad badly built team that sometimes has the talent to do something but a lot of times is going to at best get a draw.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, Sean Dyche always has that kind of reputation of being one of those English managers that can maybe get a, a result against the big boys and can set his teams up to be solid and stuff. But in reality, City decimated Sean Dyche's Burnley teams for years. And I think I think that's the team that City had had the most success against in the Pep era, something like a plus 55 goal difference across Yeah, I mean, there's the games. only
3: one I can think, there's the one where Sterling just skies a chance from literally the goal line. Um, yeah, that was a
2: 2-1 win, I think, right? I think yeah. City still won that game. Um, but that was when Sterling. That, that was from the the Amazon documentary, right? Where he yeah. um, he kind of Pep kind of bollocks Sterling after the game, saying that you have to be more ruthless and
3: all that. And um, and then but we of course, still won that. Like, yeah, it was yeah. tough. But like most of these games, you're right. Like we're we were blowing them off the pitch. Like, it's, yeah, I, it's a weird reputation he has of in reality, he just grinds out games against the other subpar teams and just like barely stays afloat rather than like, oh, he can play football against other mid table sides, but then we'll sit in and bunker against the, you know, the big six or the, you know, the top half or whatever. Like he's just, his reputation, like he's fine. Like he's absolutely like, he's a, he's qualified to run a premier league team, but he isn't some genius that's going to keep you, you know, alive and enjoying your football for, you know, decades at a time.
2: Yeah. And look, I think it's kind of an uncomfortable position for them to be in when there's so much emotion surrounding every single game, given the 10-point deduction. And, you know, I think City fans can relate to that. in in, with with a pinch of salt, they can relate to that, given the Chargers last season and City went on a big run and kind of never looked back. But had things not gone well for City after the Chargers last season, what would we be sit- sitting here discussing, saying, "Oh, the, you know, the players have lost interest, and you know, the club is threatened with relegation, and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff," and and all of their successes have been tainted. Now, obviously, um, Everton's ten point deduction and and their, the breaches they've been found guilty of aren't necessarily tainting years of Premier League titles or anything like that. Um, but you are on this emotional knife edge where, if it's a good result, you can say we're a team with our backs against the walls. It's this. Us against the world mentality, siege mentality. But if it doesn't go your way, then you go on the far other end of the spectrum and say, well, we've got this 10-point deduction. Everything's against us. It's it's just not our season kind of thing. And that's got to be a really uncomfortable situation to be in.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think for a whole host of reasons. And not only not only the emotion of this charge, but just the the fact that like frankly, I don't know that Everton exists if they get relegated. Like their finances are so screwed that if they go down, I just don't see how they survive. Um, And then you also have the fact that Moshiri has no money um, to invest in the club. They're taking out loans from the guys that want to buy them, but the guys that want to buy them are under United States government investigation for a whole host of things. And their business model doesn't seem to make any sense. Um, There's a really great podcast by Double Pivot. It's a um subscription pod that they did, but they talked to a financial reporter who's dug into triple uh, Seven partners to like explain what they do and i I do not I can't even understand how even if they get across the line on this purchase, how Everton won't be in the same position of where they don't have money to like keep the team running.
2: Are they called triple Seven partners because if things go well, you've hit the jackpot but most of the time you're just gonna lose all your money with them.
3: I have no idea um, that it's a very weird business model. They're essentially, I've never gambled taking- in my life. Triple seven is jackpot, right? Uh, or am I wrong? On, I think, I think on it is on, uh, on slots, but I don't play the slots because I, my conspiracy is that like, I just, I'm never going to trust a thing that like is programmed that yeah. I'm not getting like screwed at like that. They're just so like, you don't, oh, you don't trust yourself. I mean, I, I can't do anything with the, Oh, (laughs) Hey, Andrew's a robot. Yeah. Um, But no, I mean, I, 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 like, I feel bad for Everton fans. And uh, frankly, the players, like this can't be a fun position to be in um, for a whole host of reasons. But I, I think that the difference between, you know, city kicking on because of the charges and what Everton are going through is that city felt wrongly aggrieved and Everton do too, but no punishment happened. Whereas Everton, Feel wrongly aggrieved and they've been, you know, knocked to these points that like put them in a position where they could be screwed. And then, by the way, they could get another points deduction this season. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be a real issue for them. They would have to become
2: some sort of Phoenix club like FC Everton of Merseyside or something like that, Mm -hmm. Um, which may be an interesting story. But that'll do for part one. Stay right where you are. We'll be back in part two to discuss the Premier League title race as a whole.
0: Away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The Etihad Stadium really is wonderful at this time of the season and the same goes for McDelivery. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport
1: Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
2: Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City coverage. If you are new here, please hit follow, hit subscribe, leave a rating and leave a review unless it is a shit one. That is the best way for us to get this show out to more blues like you. Andrew, I want to look at the Premier League title race kind of the, the bigger picture because I think this past weekend was um, potentially a really big moment in the, in the title race with Arsenal's victory over Liverpool, which kind of um, you know was went in City's favor. And then City have the big win on Monday night at Brentford. Um, and now the destiny is back in City's hands. Um, I'm going to give you two options here. If City are to win the league this season, it's going to go one of two ways, I think. It's going to be one of those, potentially with Arsenal, potentially with Liverpool, probably with Liverpool. It's going to be one of those where you got to win 14 straight and win it on the final day and finish with 94 points and and your challengers finish with 93 or 92, whatever. Um, Or it can be like last season where City did have to come from behind in the title race, but actually they won it at a canter in the end. Um, Just given the vibe around the league at the moment, Of those two options, which one do you think is the more likely?
3: I do actually think that City go on to win this title by multiple, like with multiple matches to spare. Um, The fact that everyone said, oh, every match is a cup final now for Liverpool because Klopp is leaving and that's going to power them on. I don't know that they've looked worse this season than when they played Arsenal. So
2: and and they're they're also i made this point last week i think that they're also a club notorious for letting the emotion of their plight mm-hmm. be a burden for them
3: yeah absolutely and uh, the other thing too that i think people um have overlooked and we saw it in the arsenal match is that dominic soboslai not playing in this liverpool midfield is a huge issue for them um and he may may make it back in time for City versus Liverpool, but that like would basically be the first match he's kind of projected to be kind of back on the sideline. Um, he's had other injuries. I mean, he came back for one match and then immediately went you know kind of went off injured again. So I think he's a really big miss because I think one of the reasons they have been better than we all expected this season, given their squad turnover, was how quickly he hit the ground because he really I mean he's a perfect Klopp midfielder. Um. And they really haven't had a perfect Klopp midfield since the Fabinho, Henderson, Wijnaldum, uh midfield. And then you throw in the fact that their forward line is not as impactful, maybe as previous ones have been. Um, Salah has had kind of a weird season, where like I think he still has been very, very good, but there have been times in games where you just expect him to take over and he doesn't. And so for me, I think they, I think they could have trouble going the distance similarly Arsenal they I think are going to end up with a better performance of a season this year but I don't think that they will be as close to City because they massively outran expectations last year um, they're not doing that as much this year and so even though that they have performed better on paper I just don't think that they're gonna be able to keep up particularly they still have the Champions League to contend with um, and I can't imagine they're just gonna throw that away so easily um, and they just don't necessarily have the squad depth. Uh, and also, frankly, I do think that Gabby Jesus being their starting striker is a real issue for them because he's just not the consistent nine that a title-winning team is going to have based on their other squad construction.
2: Weirdly, I think I actually disagree with you. I think if, if anybody, if City are to win it out of canter, I actually think it's because Liverpool trail off. And I think Arsenal are a team that weirdly can go under the radar now because the focus is on City to do what City do. And there's an expectation now and and almost an inevitability about them. And then Liverpool, you have this huge, huge magnifying glass on Klopp's departure and the emotions that are going to come with every single result. Similarly to Everton, that the emotional swing of every Liverpool result from here on out is so, so drastic because it's oh no, we've lost. Klopp is leaving at the end of the season. We have to win. And that's an emotional burden. Or it's, um, you know, we've won for Klopp. And there's just no emotional balance there. Whereas you watch a City game, you know what you're going to get from an emotional point of view. Every win feels routine. And that's not in a, a way that I mean City are boring or robotic or they have no emotion in the title race or whatever. But it's an expectation built into the culture of the team at this point that, no, this is what we do. We, we win 10, we win 12 and we win a title and then we show the emotion. And then we have the celebrations and then Jack Grealis drinks himself into a stupor for 11 days straight. It's not that we're running around the pitch doing a lap of honor after a win against our title, uh, title rivals with, you know, three months of the season left. And look, I'm not, I'm not being celebration police here because those people anger me as, as, as much as
3: anybody, but um, well, I think it's actually yeah. I'm with you because it, it's not about saying hey, you can't celebrate. Like pe- I, I have no problem with uh, any of that, other than I, like I wouldn't suggest that Martin Odegaard do what he did because it's just like you're it's, you're setting yourself up to like regret that in the future, not in the way that like if you could there, could there,
2: there to do have it been a more memeable situation,
3: right? Exactly. That's what just like to me, it's like that. Maybe don't do that from a optic standpoint, but it's fine. But where I actually think the you're right or where I think about it is I recently heard someone talking about you know, um it was I think yesterday 2 days ago the Athletic had a podcast about the title was like why Manchester City won't win the Premier League title but it really was them talking about why they probably will and I don't remember who it was but they made the point that one of the reasons that Pep's teams defy the human kind of nature to have success and then drop off is that Pep is not motivated by winning Pep is motivated by the challenge of evolving sides and overcoming the the obstacles in front of him as a manager and that he then kind of passes that down onto his players and so that the thing that differentiates city from these other two sides is that those teams are motivated to try to win the premier league and like it's the trophy and so that if something happens that affects their ability to do that it affects their motivation and their kind of mental state, whereas for City and Pep, what motivates them is overcoming the challenges in front of them, which means that they can take things one game at a time and that a setback of one result doesn't necessarily creep in their mind if we can't win the title. It's, well, no, we just, you know, this got harder, but we're going to do it anyways because that's what we're motivated by and we'll find a way to do it.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the perfect explanation of the culture that he's built and and the reason, like I said, there's this inevitability and expectation of winning. And um, winning isn't this thing that is way off in the distance and we have to celebrate every step to get there. It's it's a thing that you're already working towards every single day at the club. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one last thing I want to talk about before we get out of here, in, just in the interest of time, uh, the blue cards. If you, if you haven't heard yet... Um, which given that we're recording this on the Thursday, you'll be listening to this on Friday or potentially Saturday morning. There has been major reports that starting this summer and going into next season that um, in some of these competitions like the FA Cup, the Women's FA Cup, and potentially the League Cup, that we will be seeing the introduction of blue cards and the quote-unquote sin bin, which has been a discussion in, in football for as long as I can remember at this point um, as the game has been evolving. Now, if you, if you aren't familiar with what this is, um, players that are typically given yellow cards for dissent or for um, you know, last-ditch tackles and things like that, where what we tend to call the orange cards, right? It's not a red. It's not a yellow. It's somewhere in between. Um, they will actually get set, sent to the sin bin on the sidelines for 10 minutes, and their team will play with 10 men. Um, I, as a devout hockey fan... Which, of course, when you think of the sin bin, you think of hockey. Yep. Have many thoughts on this. I'm going to let you go first, but I have many, many thoughts on this.
3: So my initial thought is... Don't bring Jesus into it. (laughs) Nah. Uh, My initial thought is when your referees are already struggling to control games and handle the myriad of things which frankly I think like from my standpoint what we should be doing is streamlining rules and decisions that referees make and eliminating as much kind of super granular subjective calls they have to make on the regular basis so that we you know like that just this makes it even more difficult and referees already can't decide on what is and is not a like foul worthy of a yellow card Like, I don't want to know what's going to happen when you have referees, like being incredibly subjective about what is and is not a quote unquote blue card. Um, And then, I mean, my understanding, I'm not as big of a hockey fan as you, but like, I'm very aware of the sport and have like watched a good amount is that it sounds better in theory in terms of what it does for your team compared to in practice that. Many times, the period when you play down a man, it just kind of becomes bunker, make sure things can't happen, and then the guy gets back on and things kind of resume back to normal.
2: I would say that that's not totally true because in hockey, the way that it works is basically, given the fact that there's only nine people on the ice at that time, right? There's five On the team on the power play, as it's called, and the team that has a player in the sin bin is down to four. There's so much space in that time that it allows for probably the most fluid and attacking hockey you'll see in a game. The game is a lot less bogged down. However, that doesn't relate to football in any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah, no. All this is going to be, all this is going to be is. What's it? I mean, what does a team do when they go down to ten men? They sit in a low block and they try and survive. So if you're doing this two or three times, unless you're us,
3: when somehow we've multiple times gone down a man and then we play better, right?
2: All I see is you're now telling me there's a potential in games for of a ninety minutes that twenty or thirty is just going to be a team sitting back trying not to do anything. Fuck no! I don't want. I don't want to touch that with a ten foot pole.
3: I maintain that, like, if we're going to take a rule from hockey, it should which be the fighting. I think, well, I'm down, <laughs> I'm totally down with that. Um, I would
2: love to see Kyle Walker and Neil Mope. Everybody clears out, forms a little ring, and the referees just give them a good thirty seconds with you know street rules. No, no now, kicks. See, you to want the Kyle grind. Walker?
3: I don't want Kyle Walker. I want Ederson. I yeah. want the madman who would be. A I don't think man. Ederson
2: can play by the rules though.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. Ederson, w- Ederson would probably kill someone.
2: Ed- Ederson's pulling something out of his out of his side. Yeah, he's
3: pulling a shiv. He's pulling a shiv. Like, yeah. let's be honest. That's what he's going to do. But no, the rule for me that like if you want hockey, as you pointed out, is like a very free-flowing, fast-paced game, that which is not dissimilar to what most people want to see on a football pitch. To me, the rule that has always made sense to pull over, which would also eliminate, as I mentioned earlier, these like horrible calls that like no one likes to slow down a game is the hockey offsides rule. Like just have it function that way of where it's Would not you enforce that on midfield in football. So I'm saying when you draw the line of, it's, right. you know, it's not, Oh God, he's got a toenail offside. It's like, but they, is any they part do of that him... now.
2: They yeah. do that now. Unfortunately. Yeah.
3: yeah. But it's just like that the old way it was like, you just kind of looked like, Oh, they were like, you know, they were leaning forward, but their feet are on side. It's fine. Like, do things that make the refs have to do less work, not add more adding more is a ter- like adding rules is actually what major league baseball has done. They've added more and more and more rules, which has slowed down the game and made it more complicated. And it's why the sport is not as popular as it once was, because it's just like, it's so slow paced. Like, and this is gonna do the same thing to your point of both. Now that we're going to have times where you got to get the guy off the pitch and then you got to get him back on. And like the refs, like stops the game for that. And then literally it's going to be 10, 20, 30, you know, if you're playing a, you know, Neil Warnock team 90 minutes of them bunkering with 10 men, like that's just what we're going to be facing.
2: So this is from the report from the evening standard. And they, they say that uh, players will be shown a blue card and sent to the sin bin for 10 minutes. If they show dissent to officials or commit a cynical foul, So do you think the theory here is to hope that they never have to use it in the sense that this is just added motivation to not speak back to officials and not commit those fouls that, you know, pulling a player down on a fast break, which is never going to be a red, but should be, in my opinion, when a team is breaking away and you just kind of grab the shirt and hold on to them and they give a yellow for that. Is the hope that that they don't have to use the sin bin very often because they want to I, eliminate I the th- from these games, or do they see this ten minute ten minute period of one team being down to ten men like hockey, where actually the excitement is ramped up?
3: I, I think it's I think it's this idea of the first one. Like I don't think they're trying to ramp it up because it it doesn't make sense on like, it doesn't translate so at much all. Pe- No, you have so many more people there. There's already like more than enough space. It's not anywhere. You know, it it just the space available to the numbers in football is way different to hockey. Um, So pulling that one person off doesn't really affect it. And like we see that of it's not until teams go down like two players. um, I've seen three before where you really see like notice a man. They are getting worked. like you can defend still a guy down and you're fine. Yeah, I
2: mean, we saw Liverpool win a game at Newcastle this year with 10 men.
3: Yeah. Like, it, yeah, it, to me, if if they really do think it's the second one, they're idiots. Um, on the first one, I don't – like, it feels like it's a solution in search of a problem because do you know what the solution to dissent and cynical fouls? Use the yellow cards that already are there. like Which they've said refer- they're going to do and
2: they just haven't enforced.
3: Yeah, well, it, it, like, all it would take is – referees starting to send off players for talking to them because i've maintained that the rule should just be if you aren't the captain and you talk to a ref when the ref has not said it hey you come here so we can talk it should just be a a l card immediately like no nope, you don't give them a warning you don't like just start enforcing that and it's going to solve the problem if what off, people what about physical referee,
2: abuse speak back you get a slap in the face commit a cynical I foul mean, you know we'll dead leg you
3: I mean, I'm, I'm down with that, but I'm also the guy who said that uh, I maintain that uh, society could be partially fixed if when you talk shit to a player in any sport as a fan, that player gets one get out of jail free card where they get to go into the stands and just like basically square up with you for talking shit. I'd be dead at Timbers games by now. I'd be I'd be buried in the ground. Because I, I maintain that Ron Artest did nothing wrong at the Malice at the Palace. <laughs> that is, He is entirely yeah. justified to enter the crowd and beat the shit out of that guy.
2: That is the perfect, perfect place to end an all-American podcast. Free our man, Ron Artest. No. Andrew, thank you very much. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, actually, I think he's called Meta World Peace these days, isn't he? So he learned from his lessons.
3: I don't know that he learned. I think he's trying to, you know, it's an alias to draw attention away, but... All right. I've been MetaWorld World Peace. This is Andrew Detmer. Thank you very much for tuning in.
2: Until next time. See you later.
0: Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running. And just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com.
1: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116-123. That's 116-123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.